program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Brett Judd. Now, I was just on your podcast, and so this is... I don't think we've had too many swapsies in my podcast yet where they've had me on and then I have them on. So I know uh-huh. you are just ready to share awesome pearls of wisdom. I'm ready I'm excited to take notes. Yeah. So, so my name is Brett Judd and I've been, a, I, I've been in the personal change industry and the personal development space since early 90s. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. I work with people to get them through and past those mind barriers that just frustrate the heck out of us all. And really sometimes unpack and unclutter a bunch of things we've been carrying with us for a long time. And, you know, I've done that therapeutically in some really deep, deep, heavy spaces, but also, and where I really love it is when I get to do that with people that, man, they're driven, they're focused, they're, they're just, they know that there's more and they just can't get past that those that's when it's fun you know and we get in there and we unpack and so that's really what I love to do you know I've been married now 32 years I've been married in May congratulations um, absolutely amazing woman in in this world um nothing against you or anybody else I just think Um, Gina is unreal married the the best man in the world that is right that is right um you know I mean it's too bad he didn't meet your wife because then but he she's a little younger Cause we've only been married yeah. for four years. So that would have been, you know, cougar. Could have been awkward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, awkward. all joking aside, you know, there are no perfect people, No, but there, there, I do believe there are couples that there were perfect for each other. That is so right. And, you know, I got blessed to find that. Um, she'll tell every, you know, she'll tell you straight up that she didn't want to go out with me. It was a blind date. She was, guilted into it um coerced cor- connived now, so she um, she knew you or just didn't want to go on a blind oh, date so she didn't know she, who you were so it was nothing personal we had never met a friend of ours my friend was going to his dance with her friend and her friend thought for absolute she needed to take me she had heard this terrible sob story about a relationship that i was in that totally blew up really bad that's an entirely different you know uh, um, conversation but um and so kathy just really went to work to get gina to go out with me and to take me on this date out of pity um and so finally she did and we had the absolute most amazing weekend of our life and i didn't want to go home and she said i showed up again the next wednesday like a lost puppy and then the next weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend And it was you just were like, amazing. I, so, okay, let me just make sure I'm breaking this down. You had a relationship that you won't go into evidently, but it had blown up. So she was like, I have to go out with this guy who I'm supposed to feel bad for. 
And then you go on this date. It went fine in your opinion. And you just kept showing up every weekend. Yep. That's now, do you guys live in the same town? Oh, she was going to school in Rexburg. I live in Pocatello, Idaho. We were an hour and a half away from each other. So you made and the drive. Went, I made the drive faithfully. And, and you know, as, as things go and we have to just sit back and sometimes God puts us in the place we're supposed to be right after she and I met my job already. I had to drive. I was working for the newspaper. My job took me to the town about 20 miles North of us where I oversaw the delivery of the newspaper. Um, all of a sudden my job needed me to take an extra load of new of printed materials every Wednesday to Idaho Falls. Ah. And so now I'm three quarters of the way to her. Yeah. I would take care of the stuff I needed to do in my job in Blackfoot. I would get up to Idaho Falls before this place closed. And now it's just 20 more minutes up there every Wednesday night. So I what mean, am I supposed to do? Go home? Basically <laughs> stalking her at this point. I mean, with well, the help no. of your job. <laughs> I was wooing her. I was well, yeah, wooing right. her. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. Yes. Yes. So did you were just anyway, like, hey, that's I was how that kind of in about. the neighborhood. Yep. And it was, it's been beautiful ever since. We have five kids and way too many dogs to deal with. And <laughs> okay. How many dogs? Just so I know breed, what the number is. So we breed golden doodles and we oh. have a golden retriever and we have a golden doodle and we have a male. And we have a great Dane who just looks at us all the time. Like you're in my house. You're crazy. Why are you here? Leave me alone. Okay. Uh, so I love the yard selling. And one time when I was in Oklahoma, I went to a yard sale, you know, which they have things in their garage and, you know, it's kind of dark and I had the sunglasses on. Right. And I come in and they're all laughing because I'm face to face. I'm five, nine face to face with a great Dane. Yeah. Literally, yeah. if I had had anything in my bladder, I would have messed my pants, scared the crap out of me being face to face with, you know, something with, you know, teeth. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. thought that was just funny that people were getting scared by their dog. I'm like, guys, the whole point yeah. is to get people to mill through your stuff. So yeah, how big is in. your great Dane? Our Dane isn't quite that tall. Um the top of his head when, you know, and he's standing erect is probably about four, four and a half feet tall. <laughs> well, that's, um, it's too big. Short people. Yeah. And, uh, he, uh, he's the third one we've had. We love them, but, uh, he, he's taken over our home office and just glares at you when you walk in. They're like, why are you in my space? Why are you bothering me? Go away, please. Oh. So basically and he's a cat. He's, he's very much like a cat yeah. and he wants to be a lap dog and he will <laughs> very much you know like it's cat. about to happen. You're sitting there on the couch and he comes in, he kind of looks at you, walks a little past and you're like, sure enough, he backs up and plops right down on your lap. <laughs> you're like, you are too big for this. Too okay. Big. Cause cats, they want you when they want you and they don't when they don't, you know? And I have carpet outside my office that has been ripped up by cats because they can hear me in here talking want in. and they want in. And that costs you like 150 bucks every time you have that repaired. Yes. <laughs> but, um, okay. So you've got the golden, the, the golden doodles. Yep. The so we have game. the doodle and a golden retriever 
who are both pregnant right now and will be delivering puppies in the next week. Both of okay. them. Okay, that's a lot. A lot of dogs. So, you know, but I'm a yeah. cat person, obviously. So, um, but do you have a hard time giving them up after you bred them? No. Okay. Oh cause no. Because you make money. Well, yeah. I mean, there's the financial side of it as a business, but they're a lot of work after mom quits at, you know, about three, four weeks after they're delivered and you got about four or five weeks before they can go to somebody else's house. It's all on you. You know, you got to really? make sure they're eating. You got to make sure that the place is clean. You Why make does sure mom they're quit? clean. Uh, they just do. They just like it about four weeks. They say, okay, I'm done. You guys uh, are good. And so basically you've so enabled at that them. Point, there you go. Probably. <laughs> uh, so it becomes the only, you know, it becomes our responsibility to make sure that those puppies get everything they need. And, and uh, it's crazy. So yeah, yeah, you're really excited to see them start to go to their new homes, but well, we love it. They're, they're fun. They're incredible. And, you know, we've got several of them now who have been used um, as companion or service animals. One of them is trained as a therapeutic dog here in our town um and uh two uh two counselors um that are partners uh they uh they got one of our dogs have trained it to be a count a therapeutic dog and it now goes to two of the middle schools here in town and they just absolutely love it and so well, that's it's fun to see stories like that come back and and it's how like people are like your grandkids out doing good like things it in is, the world. It is. It really is. Yeah. So yeah, that's me and and what I do and and I just you know I, I my whole passion is to help people live their absolute best life and to see what can we do to elevate and move you on to this beautiful space. That's that's what I get to do every day and I love it. Okay, so here's the thing: hypnotherapy. I've always yeah. kind of been a little curious about this. Because there's the hypnotist, like you're going to see on the cruise ship, right? Yep. And there's the mentalist, yep. you know, people that like play these really cool, fun mind games and kind of, you know, entertain, right? Um, what? And But a hypnotherapist, let's explain that exactly. Because I know it's not either of those, but I put them together. Well, it's both of those. It's all of them. Because okay. we're playing play in the game. same space. We're still playing in the same space. Got it. Okay. And you're helping the individual access the subconscious and, and those deep ingrained principles and core beliefs that drive and underscore everything we do. And so when we, when we help somebody go into that trance state, now we're able to put in suggestion, we're able to do visualization that actually helps them move past those barriers and overcome stuff faster. Okay, so um, no. when they're in the trance, they're not fully aware, right? Like when you've been hypnotized. They, you, you're always still somewhat there. And I always make sure when somebody's going to, you will always be aware of the surroundings around you. You're going to be aware of my voice. And you can come out of this anytime you want to. Okay. And okay. I always make sure to give that prompt so that nobody feels, you know, like they're that they're overpowered or out of control. Got it. The, okay. Whenever somebody's in that space, they always should feel like they're in total control and that it's safe. And 
with that foundation, then we can go into a very deep, quiet mind space. Um, it really is, if you, we've all experienced that hypnagogic space where you're not asleep, but you're not awake. You're laying there in bed and you think you're talking to your, you know, your partner, but you're dreaming, but you're hearing them talk and you're in that weird crossover space. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's my where husband, you go. Um, I mean, which is different. Like my husband talks in his sleep and he goes, ah, money. No. Ah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> but that's like the main word that I can pick out <laughs> that you get out of being married to him is ah, ah, oh, money. <laughs> money. <laughs> money. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, you know, pretty common when you grow up without a ton of means, you know, that you're, that you, uh, a, you, yeah. you like you like having some money in your savings account yeah. oh it's a nice thing it's a nice thing okay yeah. so you're going into like people's motivation like you're like there's something that's hanging up in their life and so you're going into like that childhood memory is that what you're talking about like somebody who might have been sometimes we'll just focus on on a on a thought so somebody comes in um, I had a client, they were talking about, you know, money and, and value tends to, uh, uh, self-worth uh, tends to be the main thing. Yeah. And we look for and find those underlying core beliefs that were rooted at one point or another. You think about the kid, you know, you, you got your kid, they're sitting there, they're young, you know, they, they've been to the grocery store with you and they're tired and bored and, and overstimulated because all the stuff and you're in the checkout. And there's a candy bar. There's a toy. Mom, mom, can I have this? Can I, I want a candy bar. Can I have a candy bar? No. If, maybe if you had cleaned your room today, I'd buy you the candy bar. What is that little kid here? It goes into their head like, oh, I'm not a good kid. I didn't clean my room. And so I can't have a candy bar. Or the parent that says, what do you think I am? Made of money? I don't have enough money to buy. You know, we don't have enough money just to buy candy whenever we want. Well, that little kid doesn't understand the complexity of the fact that maybe it's maybe it's the end of the pay period and mom's got to buy enough food to get groceries to pay, do dinner until the next check. So she's stressed out. But the kid hears, oh, we don't have enough money for me to have a candy bar. We must be poor. We don't have anything that we need. Okay. I can't. And so those get locked in. And now we act them out as adults. Right. Now, now I'm dying on, to ask you in this scenario, um, okay. because I always said to my kids, we choose to spend our money on other things, or you've already had a treat today, you know, sure. and, you know, um, are those, did I, did I mess up my kids subconscious? Or, Cause I was trying to do a good job. <laughs> no, I, the way that you framed that, I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's not the fact that we don't have money. We choose to spend our money on these things. You already had a snack today. You already had a treat today. Essentially, the underlying message, we don't need treats all the time. And so mm -hmm. the subtlety of that is, is significantly different than, you know, I don't have money for that kind of stuff, or we don't have money to just buy those things. Or, or I'd say you, know, you have your own money. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you've given them the potential to buy it on their own, and they've earned money, and you've got ways for them. I think that's great. I think it's great. The, okay, the thing, we have to check in once in a while and just, you know, and, and talk to the kids. I think that's one of the biggest things that parents forget is, you know, they're there. Our job as parents is to train and 
nurture the child. We've got 18 to 20 years. And I tell parents this all the time. You've got 18 to 20 years to do the absolute best you can to create the foundation that they're going to use then as they go out into adult life. Preach it. Absolutely. I was at a parenting thing one time and these, anyway, I said some, I just kind of said, well, it's not our job to entertain our kids. And everybody would looked at me like, what, what? And I'm like, what do you, what do you, you think your job is to entertain them and make sure they always have happy feelings? No, I want my kids to experience failure. Um, you know, when I have the capacity to help them learn how to mitigate that, I want them to experience heartbreak and disappointment and all the angst because the feelings are more magnified when you're kids um, than to never, you know, just to project a certain thing in my home. Absolutely. To Absolutely. then just rebel or, or, you know, experiment so much out of rebellion instead of a cognitive choice about who they're becoming and what they're doing in their life. Right. Right. And, and giving them the foundation that they need to make that cognitive choice to determine who they're becoming right. and to have it grounded right. in enough experience, enough chances for them to fail and understand why did I fail in this and what can I do better next time? And if you're doing parenting right, you're, you're going to look at that failure as an opportunity to teach, to train and to move the child forward, right. not to right. berate shame and can, you know, be condescending to them, which happens way too much because now the, the number of clients that I get to work with and, and really highly successful people who carry with them this, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not supposed to. And it all goes back to those moments, you know, when they were young, there's a great, there's a great comment or a great quote. And I've got to dig in and find out who it came from. So it's, give me the, give me an infant and I'll return to you the man at seven. Meaning every core principle, all of the foundational underlying unconscious principles that drive our life get instilled to us by the age of seven. Hmm. You know, when that quote was said, we didn't have the the understanding and the neurological understanding that we do now, but the prefrontal cortex, our ability to reason executively function and make decisions and rationalize doesn't even begin to fully function until we're about 10, 11 years old. Right. Right. Prior to that, it's all subconscious functioning, all of those low frequencies of the subconscious. And that is where these root principles that guide our life are instilled. And so that's where hypnotherapy is beautiful because we get that prefrontal cortex out of the way for a moment. The rules, the rationalization, and the the justifications, we put that aside for a minute so that we can look at and help the person get down to those root principles and let the brain break it down. That doesn't work. That isn't what mom really said. That doesn't work for me today in my life. Right. And we move on from it. And we move on from it. Okay. So for the listener, who's like me, you know, I started being molested at two and a half and, uh, there was a phrase, you know, so obviously that when I hear stuff like this, part of me is like, ah, ah, you know, because you know, how obviously how that affect me. And, um, but my mom said one time she goes, you know, I could have been a good mom to two kids. 
And I spent a lot of my childhood feeling like I had to make it up to my mom for giving birth to me. And then later as an adult, and thankfully before I had kids, one day it was like, I think it was like a spiritual thing that I was, I was reminded of that. And I felt all the feelings and then was like, it doesn't mean she didn't want me. And it was just like, I just kind of took the little kid that was me and just kind of held her and cried with her because it was an adult phrase that didn't, my mom was overwhelmed. Um, Like many women, uh, you know, having to raise kids. My dad was a trucker. He was gone, you know? Yeah. It was, you know, it's, it's overwhelming and we don't raise kids generationally like we used to. And my grandparents were not a lot of help, (laughs) you know, they were, they were, uh, um, they were difficult. So she didn't have, you know, support a network around her. Um, but yet so many, you know, I can look back at my child and just be like, so I, I didn't feel like I was allowed to express things you know, because I didn't want to put the burden of, oh, she's still here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, so you were protecting yourself as well as protecting your mom so that you didn't have to go into that experience. And that's a huge burden. And so that moment that I realized that's not what she meant by it was a huge release. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing you're doing with your that client. Is. That is, that is. And so we go back and we look, maybe there's, a lot of times it'll be a belief. There'll be, you know, we'll be talking. Um, and uh, this as we're talking and dialoguing. All of a sudden this core principle just drops out and they always do. And I'm like, tell me more about that. When did that show up? How is that a truth and a reality? And so we'll take that and we'll go back into that space. And I'm like, Tell me when you first experienced this. What's going on when you first heard that? What was happening? And we bring the adult logical foundation that we have back into that child experience. And all of a sudden, we see it from a different lens. And sometimes, you know, we'll go in and like, who did your mom need right then? Mm -hmm. What did she need at that moment? And that compassion can come in she needed help she needed support she was overwhelmed grandma wasn't able to be there for her and all of a sudden what the child heard as i'm not wanted the adult is able to see and understand as my mother didn't have the capacity to take care of us and she didn't have the support that she needed to do the work as a mom And we bring that back into the here and now, and it alters and changes our perception of what's going on because we've changed the subconscious understanding of the moment and of that event. It's powerful. It really is is powerful. powerful. And I love how you brought in the compassion because I think there's this, there's this struggle um, that people have between, um, you know, the forgiveness and the trust, right? It's like in this scenario, since we're making it my therapy session, evidently. Thanks. Um, I'll be you, know, you later. That, yeah, right. Um, that we have, 
um, you know, here all I would, you know, I, I did extra chores and I did extra things and I didn't feel like I could project emotions. And so I learned how to put them inside of me, being able to give my mom compassion. The other side that it gave is I'm incredibly capable. Yes. Right. Like I am able to, when I get stressed, I'm able to almost step outside of me and go, okay, what are my real assets and liabilities here? Absolutely. And that is such an amazing skill set that I would not have had had I not learned to react emotionally as a child, right? And, you know, wah, wah. But at the end of the day, that's a gift to me. Yeah, and you've been able to leverage that and learn that. And that's, some people don't, And that, but that's part of what doing this work gives us the ability to do. Right. We split out the pieces that aren't ours and we stop carrying the piece. You know, I, ha- I had a client who this was, this is a beautiful experience. This, this, I'm not enough and I'm not, I'm not capable. And we went back and I said, tell me about the moment that you realized, you know, when, when did that first kick in for you? She went to this time. She says, I'm about five, six years old. I'm in the hallway. My dad is standing over the top of me berating her. And all of a sudden she had this realization dad was not capable of giving me the love that I wanted. And he was ashamed of his own ineptness and aware of his inability and didn't know any other way to do it. Mm. And all of a sudden this uh, seeing dad in a different light, I wasn't not enough. He recognized he wasn't enough for me and didn't know how to handle me. Wow. And the freedom that that happened, you know, opened up all of a sudden. Such a beautiful thing, because the truth is um, we all have that feeling, you know, that hit in our stomach. I think, you know, the world, according to hotness, is that, you know, we are divine beings, like C.S. Lewis said, having an earthly experience. Right. And that that whole is we're used to so much more, you know, in the presence of God. And then we're here and we can't reconcile what earth is compared to. So that's how I answer. Other people have looked at it as like past lives and things like that, which I think past lives are when we are ministering angels to other people. And we had these really clear experiences because everything to me, you do like that. Yeah, I do. I like that. I, I, I can totally, I love that. Yeah. Right. Cause like, why do they have like partial memories of, so that's, but to me, everything is answered by God. So that's, that's the, the world according to Lita. Right. But I, I love this whole concept of this kid being able to recognize that this authority figure, that their whole inside of them, that they weren't enough and how that spilled accidentally because nobody right. intends to say thoughtless things to children. Right. But the things no, that we don't attend to. Most people don't. I will say most people. There are some people. I've had clients who had some really horrific people in their life. I'm but just going to assume the majority of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, your listeners probably are, are not. Right. I get the joy sometimes of walking into some really awful situations and helping yeah. people through that. Um, I do yes. know a person who enjoys hurting other people and having power over them. And I keep explaining to the people around them that choose to stay in their 
sphere. I chose, I chose, they wrote me a nasty letter after my daughter died. And wow. so effective immediately, we were done. Yes. And so when other people are like, well, and making excuses for them, I'm like, no, it's not mental illness. That's mean to mentally ill people. It's yes. choosing to be mean. That's right. That's right. You're choosing. So that's, that's the person, you know, I, I know a couple of people, you know, that I just like, no, they really do enjoy. Where does that come from, Brett? Right. You know, a broken, broken I, place. Ken, and we have to wonder, you know, what did they experience? Who did not teach them? What, what was what was happening to the adults in their life who were not teaching them compassion, not teaching them empathy, not giving them the experience that they needed to put themselves in the you know place of the other person and how and develop that empathy? You know, intellectual intelligence or emotional intelligence is learned and it's something that we have to learn and develop over time and as as the adults dealing with those you know young kids pre seven eight nine ten whenever before that logic kicks in in the brain it is our obligation our duty i believe to instill in them that emotional intelligence one of the things that I, that that i see all the time my wife is a therapist as well oh um, boss, and, i and bet you guys have really it's crazy sometimes very constructive are, disagreements but I'm we, we know how to communicate and not argue people say you know do you 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 how what do you mean you guys don't fight well, we don't fight yeah we have some disagreements but we know how to communicate through it. And we know how to work through that thing. But she and I were talking uh, just this last weekend and we were listening to um, one of her mentors, um, Sue Johnson, who, the creator of Emotionally Focused Therapy for Couples. And, and she is probably the foremost authority on adult attachment um, right now. She's, Sue is brilliant. But she said, we've done, there's a huge disservice in Western culture. And I absolutely agree with this. For whatever reason, young men, boys are not taught how to feel. Mm -hmm. They're not taught that it's okay to feel. And mm -hmm. so they are emotionally stunted in their emotional intelligence. Whereas young women, if you look at the way girls tend to be raised and their interaction with each other and where their nurturing goes, they're taught to feel. They're taught what feeling is all about. And they interact in that space. Now we get the two together and guys, because they haven't been trained and taught from a young age, what emotion is all about, how to deal with emotion, how to process emotion. Now we end up loggerheads with each other because one is deeply emotional and wants to have that conversation. And all <laughs> this guy knows how to do is either react or retreat. Right. And because the emotions become terrifying. I have terrifying. a funny story for you, Brett, that um, I was in the I car traveling for a long time with this lady and her kids. And I'm being vague. <laughs> on purpose. I'm not saying who it is. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Anyway, the, the, the pubescent teenage boy was having a little emotional breakdown. Yeah. And I just kind of said, well, I guess puberty's hitting him hard, which 
I have to admit, I've said that more than once because I thought it was just a funny statement in my early twenties, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, she goes, the, the mother looks at me, goes, boys don't go through puberty. They don't have emotions. They don't have oh, that. And I'm just like, Oh my crap. And because I did not have children yet, I didn't know anything. And this particular person I knew never took any input from me. And so the conversation was over, but it always kind of struck with me um, how sad that was. Did that, that, well, one, what do you think is happening between their pants? Everything's changing. <laughs> like, Everything. you know, like <laughs> things are happening right. to boys. Like they went to right, right. programs too. And, um, and our, you know, the pituitary gland is, you know, changing up things and you're right. Women, um, girls are, are given a pass at our feelings, which lets in, in one way has kind of like oh well you know girls will be girls it kind of gives women a pass to maybe not learn how to regulate their emotions and boys will be boys meaning you know they can you know touch a girl and it's okay and it's like I don't accept either I don't accept either because you were talking about that person or the you know the 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 people who were mean I at the same time that we what we weren't given in our childhood that's all really sad Mm -hmm. but call me on it brett i was molested i was yelled at i was hit i was beaten i was suicidal and i've made my life awesome you have been a buttload of work absolutely but i don't feel like it's an excuse maybe understanding but i think we have to be careful between this um understanding where something's come from and being compassionate about it but not giving people a pass for bad behavior. Right, right. So let's go into it, that. Or tell me if I'm wrong. You can understand the behavior. You know, I, behavior is, for me, a beautiful thing. And, and in one of my early books that I wrote, you know, Positive Principle Parenting, terrible name, long. Okay, what, was blah, that blah, blah, blah. what was that book positive again, Brett? Positive Principle Parenting. Yes. Um, and uh, I talk about the fact that we need, as parents, to look at the behavior of the child as a gift. Because the behavior of the child gives you the opportunity to get into their head. What are they thinking? What's driving them? What's going on for them? And if instead of getting upset at the behavior, if you will climb past the behavior to what triggered this behavior, what emotion is behind this behavior? What are they feeling right now? What thought must have been going on in their mind to create that behavior? And so many times we get upset about the behavior. We act on the behavior, which is irrelevant. Right. Mm-hmm. We'll take that opportunity to climb into the child. All of a yeah. sudden, we learned so much about why they behaved the way they did, why they reacted to the situation when they did, and we can teach them to move forward so that it doesn't happen again. It's the difference, and one of the things I talk about in that book is it's the difference between a disciplinarian who is nothing more than a teacher, Desaire is to teach. A disciple is the student. A disciplinarian ah. is the teacher. But or the it's punisher. the teacher that's putting you in a certain direction to learn a certain thing. Right, right. right. And so when people talk about discipline versus punishment, they are not intertwined. Punishment, punair, is to make pay, to inflict mm. pain or to make pay. Whoa. What do yeah. I want to be as a parent? Do I want to be the punisher and give punishment? 
That's what we do when we react to behavior. So we always had consequences in our house. Absolutely. So um, I had, you know, attended a talk or read a book or something that talked about giving consequences dispassionately, right? It's like, this is what's going to happen if this happens. And then, then when it happens, you'd be like, okay, right. this is the consequence for, for this, you know, this but behavior, trying to be dispassionate. This is the outcome. Yeah. Right. But and trying not, not to react emotionally and getting in this and oh my heavens, I have never, not always been perfect at that, you know, oh, no, we never um, are. but some, you know, we believe in timeouts, you know, when you start seeing it spiraling up being like, okay, calling a timeout. And that might be, you know, and my kids get a call timeout on me. I love that. I love yeah. that. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, when you're mad, you know, you're like, and I've like gone to time out literally being like, who's the parent here <laughs> as, as I'm taking my consequence and going to right, time out. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm in charge. <laughs> love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. And then, you know, I go and of course everything, you know, is a God thing for me. So I'm like, you know, my prayer will be like, God, you know, fix them. And then I'm like, oh, okay, wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not coming out of the room until I've learned to kind of, you know, get my logical brain in touch with my emotional brain. Right. Absolutely right. You got to bring them back <laughs> online with each other. Yeah. You and then to. I cook dinner yeah. sometimes by myself. Like everybody leave the kitchen because mom's still in timeout. <laughs> <laughs> it might be safer for you guys to go to the other room. <laughs> or you're cooking. <laughs> That's there what, you that go. should have been the consequence. You put mom in timeout, you're cooking dinner. <laughs> you got dinner. And I would you have never been duty. put in timeout and that would have been bad for my behavior. So, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, so much of this, it, it, even this conversation goes back to kind of where we start those underlying principles and rules that are driving and dictating our life. Mm -hmm. they, they become that autopilot. They become the, the rule book. We don't have to think about them. You know, if I'm walking down the street and, and I see a dog, that looks like it's trying to kill me. I don't have to think about my need for survival. It's just automatic. And right. I will cross the street. I'll turn around. I'll go five blocks around to do whatever I have to, to avoid that situation. I don't have to think about that. It just happens. Like coming face to face with a great Dane in your face. Yes, you know? exactly. Right. Absolutely. You're going to have, but okay, you're hinting at it here because I just, maybe it's just me, but I'm sure I'm the only person in the world who's had this, but where people are like, well, you know, look at this terrible thing that's happened in their life. And so therefore we need to, you know, let them get away with this bad behavior. Yeah. That drives me nuts, Brett. Because I just, am I being, I mean, I feel like I'm a little uncompassionate sometimes because I'm like, they can do the work. No, the compassionate thing is to help them do the work. If, if somebody well, had therapist, a broken arm. As a therapist or as a doctor in your broken arm analogy, right? But what's our responsibility when we're butting up against somebody with behavior that doesn't work? How do we, what's your advice on that? The first thing we have to do is go to ourself. Why is this an issue for me? Why do I care about this person's behavior? Why is it an issue for me? Because we have to get that in check. It's just like when you're talking about as a mom, 
you needed to take a time out to reintegrate the emotional brain with the logic brain. If we don't stop and have that gut check moment, why do I care about this? Why is this important to me? Now we're going to overreact. We're going to react emotionally and not rationally. So I think that's the very first thing that has to happen. Then we can start looking at that person objectively. What's going on for them? What is this behavior? Why can't they function? And what needs to happen? But if we, if we are coming at it from a position of hurt ourself, now we're just going to be reacting to a reaction and that's never, never. Okay. So first step doesn't work is analyze the situation, figure out what's really happening. Look at the balance of emotion to reaction. And why it matters to you. Why am I reacting to this? Why why do. Okay. And then two, looking at where, because the first one's about you. And the second one is doing that with why are they doing this? You take that compassion, empathetic look into the other person. What must they be experiencing that this is what they want to do? What belief do they carry that this is what action they're, you know, exhibiting? Right, right. Because all the proverb, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right. Is so prevalent, you know, and and in the seventies, Earl Nightingale reframed that to, we move towards that, which we think about most. They're both the same statement. Whatever we carry in, in the subconscious, in our thought, whatever is the driving principle will always lead to a behavior. So you have somebody like you're talking about this, they've gone through some horrific things they've done. They're doing things. What's going on for them. What must they believe about me, about others, about society that allows them or propels them to do this action? Right. Okay. So now you've done that. Yeah. And let's say it's your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, whatever. Um, and you, you've figured out why they're doing the, the poopy thing they're doing. Sorry, me and my language, you know, I got to watch oh, my cool. mouth. Yeah. Um, but they persist in doing it. You understand why they're doing it. You get the pain of their childhood. Yeah. But how do you navigate that they're still doing the, yeah. you know, in quotation, I mean, it, it just, you know, the bad behavior, like right. where does that put the relationship if they're not willing to do accountability? There's a great question that I ask clients all the time. Whose issue is it? Mm-hmm. Am I picking up and stepping into an issue that's not even mine and a minefield that I shouldn't even be walking in? Once we, so first, you know, is this even mine that I need to mess with it? Why do I choose that I want to do this and how, for what outcome? So we have to do that dance a little bit. Right, right. If I choose then to go to my sister, my brother, cousin, whoever, you know, neighbor next door and say, intervene with that. I've noticed that it seems like when, and then you lay out the scenario and what it appears the underlying thought might be. It seems like you believe, or that this is happening. Whenever this happens, I notice that you, and now we've separated ourselves. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to out myself, Brett, and I might regret this later. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to out. Cause you might just solve all my world problems right here. <laughs> right now. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
So my, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. It was just you and I, it'd be fine. Okay. Um, But my whole entire life, my parents have struggled with their relationship with money. Yeah. And my mom came from a fair amount of money. Her parents were incredibly controlling about it. My, my father's family house burned down when he was small, you know, living outside the reservation, you know, amazing stories. They met, they fell in love, beautiful story. Um, life happened. Money was tight. My grandparents even embezzled money from my parents. Oh my word. And yeah. Like really hard things. And an uncle on my dad's side ran out of town with debts, leaving them in my, his two brothers names, you know, I mean, so they really had some really terrible financial things happen to them. And what's so interesting to me is they felt that it was okay to clean out their kids' bank accounts. So my college money would be taken. Um, you know, they didn't pay their, their bills on time. They didn't pay their IRS, which of course the IRS is not a bill that goes away. And that's come up repeatedly. And our whole entire relationship has broken down over two points. One, again, not paying the IRS. They lived with us for 12 years. Um, They wanted us to pay it off. Now they deny that they ever asked that. The second issue that I cannot forgive, I cannot forgive it, Brett, is that they took money for our daughter's gravesite and used it incorrectly. And... I think like most parents, I mean, even when I talk about it, I'm getting like a little bit, like a little bit hot in the collar because it makes me mad. And then I realized that part of my anger was when these are people that I found out later, people gave money to help pay for my wedding. Cause they knew that my parents didn't have a lot of money and I did pay for my own wedding. And my parents over time, like would throw me 50 bucks. And then eventually they were like, okay, we paid you back for your wedding. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Cause I wasn't keeping track and I didn't expect them sure. to pay for my wedding. Cause they never right. did have money. Um, and I was marrying the guy. So I didn't, it wasn't like, <laughs> I'm only going to get married once you can pay for it. And he was okay without having a dowry. So, um, <laughs> cause there was no dowry. Um, but, um, that, you know, people offered, gave them money. And then they ended up telling these people, no, we didn't give it to Lita because we needed the money more. So their whole, my whole entire life, they have not handled their money well. And I get that. But part of my anger at my, of the whole situation about misappropriating this money, embezzling it, um, it fits the definition around my dead child is that I knew that they weren't good with money. And yet I wrote a check thinking that because it was around a dead kid, that they would take the check to where it was supposed to go because I was in a wheelchair and surely you wouldn't take advantage of somebody in a wheelchair with a dead kid. Surely you wouldn't do that. Right. And no accountability has happened. This, you know, I have, I could, I could take them to court if I chose to. And they will not accept it. And money, whenever it comes up, it's super sticky. And at this point, I just don't even know what the relationship is. So how do you navigate that minefield? Yeah, that's a lot. And even going to our kids and complaining about money. Yeah. And how we use the money. And, you know, saying mean things about my husband. So I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, but. You're like triggering me, buddy. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm just like, uh, you know, my word for the year is radical honesty. That's because good. I'm a pretty honest person, but I realize that I have protected people by not wanting to hurt them because I have a certain amount of public influence, but the people ended up hurting yeah. was my kids. And I don't want my kids to see me not being honest. And so that's why I'm like, I have to be honest, but at the same time, I don't want to hurt people. They're already hurt. Okay, Brett, fix me. <laughs> so, okay. One of the things that I think is really important in this is that we don't owe anybody anything. I know that sounds terrible. Once, so many times, you know, people find themselves in this place where like, I have to do this. I have to do that. They did this for me. I have to do this. It's a choice. It's all a choice. Um, and many times it helps around parents, you know, all my parents, so I have to do, they're my parents. So I have to do this. There is this really magical thing that happens when we're 18, 19, 20 years old. And as we can become an adult and that gives us the ability, the freedom and the potential. And I think the obligation in many respects to determine what relationship I want moving forward now with these other people in my life. When we're just kids, we don't have that opportunity. We, we're subject to whatever the adults in our life do, right? There's that moment where we decide what relationship do I need and want with my parents, with my siblings, with my aunts, my uncles. Um, are they good for me? If they're not, I don't need them in my life. I don't have to be hurtful to them. I don't have to be mean and condescending and rude, but I don't have to have them with me. And we have to give ourselves that permission to set those boundaries. If we don't, we will end up being, you know, taken advantage of over and over and over by people who have no boundaries. Yeah. I didn't give you all the stories, but <laughs> it's, okay. um, you know, it's funny because you talked about those core beliefs as children yeah. and dang, you're good, Brett. But I have this core belief that you have to be in a good relationship with your parents because God gave them to you. They do. But we but also maybe have God to gave them to me to teach me it's different things. And so as you were saying yeah. that, I'm like, it's, it, it's funny. Cause when I'll kind of go through this process with myself, it always comes up like, well, why God? Because again, everything goes back to God for me. Um, and I love, I love my parents. And I admire so many great traits that they gave me, like my ability to talk to anyone. That is a gift from my mom. Which is incredible. You are so good at that. <laughs> Thank you, Brett. Um, Amazing. But it pains me to know that as their health is failing mm -hmm. and that time is limited, that they may never get the joy of having me back in their life. Yeah. Um, because it's more convenient to say that we've wronged them and that we've taken their money, which is ironic, <laughs> you know, um, you know, to, cause everyone tells the story that, that makes them feel good. And I think that we have to really question those stories. Yes that make us feel good. Yeah. And this is, I think one of the power of journal writing yes. is 
we can go back and go, wait a minute. That's not how it actually happened. According to me. Yeah. You know, can I give you a formula? Yes, please. Yeah. So this is something that I put together years ago and I have used with so many all the time. And, uh, I call it the four W's. Okay. And the first is why do I care? Mm. Or any version of that. And we can put this, we can deploy that question everywhere. Our spouse says something and I get a reaction inside. So that's Before that I say something, of checking the emotions. Right. Well, I care. Why was that an issue for me? And we have to check in. The beautiful thing about that type of question, and this is where the work happens, it immediately triggers the subconscious to expose those core principles. That question is asking our subconscious brain to enlighten me on the principle that I just felt violated. Wow. Yay. We will listen. That's where the reprogramming happens between the seven is asking hard questions. Oh, Brett, I love this so much because whenever I hear about these, you're set by seven, I'm like, Part of me goes, you're screwed. <laughs> you know? Or if you don't do the work. Like, you know, and unfortunately, so many people refuse to do the work. And that but the work is asking the questions. Asking these questions. Yeah. So what? once you get that and you listen to that response, and I tell people all the time, start writing. Because the subconscious is going to unleash a list, a laundry list of, well, because of this and because of this and because of this, we do this. And isn't it interesting that little kids are always asking why? 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 Help me understand why. Why? why? I, I talked several years ago to, to a Kiwanis group here, and I said, my title is We Have to Become the Two Year Old or the Power. I can't remember something about yeah, you yeah. Know, embracing a two year old. Why? Why? Tell me why. We have to begin to question what is prescribed to us or given as an absolute. And the, mm. and that's where this, this next W is, 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 well, and it's, it's kind of messes up. Is that true? But who says that's true? Okay. So, so if I who. come up with, you know, I, I come into a situation, I have to honor my parents. Why do I believe that? Why, why is that an issue for, you know, and all of a sudden we get these principles coming forward. Well, who says that's true? Which they were taught. And, you know, my grandmother, Mm -hmm. oh man, it was, it was this in stone thing. And so obviously her mother and, you know, I mean, I know Grammy was that way. Yeah. Um, And so, so then we have to ask, is it true? Is that true? And in what format is it true? You know, so, I mean, here we are, we're dancing around this, you know, honor your parents commandment, but what does it mean to honor my parents? Does that mean to obey them willfully and, you know, be instantly obedient to every demand? Is that all? No. I looked up the Hebrew meaning of it. I love it. And as, as I remember, it means to live a worthy life. It doesn't mean obedience. It means to live an upright life. You know, obviously in the Hebrew, like before God. And as long as you know, you're, and so, you know, I, I remind myself. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to get into that kind of stuff, though, because we carry these principles, these rules that 
dictate automatic behavior. If we don't stop it, why is that an issue for me? Why did I think that? Why did I react there? Oh, well, who says that's true? And decipher that. It goes back to, I'm sure you've heard the, you know, the story of the ham and cutting the ends cutting off. Cutting the, the ham. ham. Yeah, but share yeah. it for the listeners because. Yeah. So the story goes that, you know, the, the husband comes home, wife's cooking a ham for dinner. She always cuts the ends off the ham. Says, why do you do that? Because it makes it taste better. Well, what do you mean it makes it taste? I don't know. My mom always did that. She said it made it taste better. Calls up his mother-in-law. Tell me about this. Why do you cut the ends off the ham? Well, it makes it taste better. Where did you learn that? Well, that's what my mother taught me. She's still alive. So he calls, you know, grandma and said, my wife and her mother both cut the ends off the ham because they say it makes it taste better. They said they learned it from you. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? I had to cut the ends off the ham because that's the only way it would fit in my roasting pan to get in the oven. <laughs> Which the, if you don't cook the ham, it does not taste good. Doesn't taste so good. <laughs> right. Right. But that trickled down over time. It's like the telephone game that we all exactly. And again, the little kid is sitting there saying to, you know, what in the story is the great grandma. Right. And saying, why do you do that? Well, it makes it taste better because you're not explaining what botulism is. You exactly. know, uncooked meat. It tastes a whole lot better when it's it tastes cooked. Tastes a whole lot know? better when it's cooked. <laughs> you know? And the kid misinterpreted that to. Yeah. So we have to go in. And who says that's true? Is it true? What, you know, and, and break it down. And that leads us to then the one that's really powerful. And this is the, this the, is the third one. that for you right now, I think is the biggest thing is that, and we talked about a minute ago, whose issue is it? Mm. At one point mm. along this line, if I'm having a reaction and I come across and I do the, you know, what are my beliefs, is- all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, Whose issue is this? Which is the accountability thing that I'm always like, they're not doing the, like, I don't, I've written this in my books that, you know, in relation to sexual abuse, like if somebody is not taking accountability, right there, you can't have trust with them. No, and even can't. if they say there's love, there isn't because there's not accountability. Right. And but I can is- love somebody and honor and respect them. Maybe the respect is not there, but because of their actions, I can respect but... things about them for sure there are wonderful traits of my parents work ethic um, loving other people. put boundaries in place that this is the nature of the relationship and how it is going to be and then allow them to have their emotion about it it's not up to me to make them feel good about my boundaries it's not up to me to make them feel okay with the situation that they're creating. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's so important. Whose issue is this? Did I cause yes. this or is somebody else causing this? I mean, right now the story is I'm killing my mother and they've told me I can't come to the funeral. And, no. you know, honestly, if that's what's best for the bulk of my siblings, because they are believing the story. Um, yeah then that that's what I'll do. I won't go to the funeral. And that's what, no, that's, if that's what's best for the bulk of my siblings and that's, that's the nice thing to do for them. And it's their parents too. Sure. As long as you're still being able to mourn and get what you need from it. Now you've set that boundary. You separated yourself away because you needed to. And so if you're okay with 
stepping out of that event, then fine. It is what it is. I mean, if it's going to go, I mean, having buried a child yeah, and people in my family causing drama at it, yeah, that, um, you know, I have a joke that says, if you can't appra- appro- uh, behave appropriately around the dead child, you don't have good behavior in you. That's and so true. how we show up to funerals is showing our graciousness and our compassion. And if my presence is going to create hurt for yeah. people that are hurting, then I'm confident in my ability to do the work. Yeah. And so you step out so that you don't create more chaos. Yeah. Um, and if that's, and that's, beautiful. that's beautiful. And you know, my, yeah. my parents, you know, I mean, I believe we're eternal. And so they're going to be there too. Yeah. And if that will help them enjoy you know, this really speaks. Them. Yeah. This speaks beautifully to the final W of the four W's and that's what can I do about it? Mm. At one point or another, we have to take action. We have to make a decision. What can I do about it? So in this situation, you've realized this isn't your issue. This is all on them. And it's, it's what's happening for them. And you've separated yourself away from that, which is good. Now, what can I do about it? What action can I take? What decision can I make right now to have any influence or impact on this? Not, we don't have to fix it, but to have influence or impact. And then over time, maybe something changes. And we're always looking at how that impacts me. Because as Jim Rohn said, I can't do somebody else's push-ups. And so if we're trying to act and do the work for somebody else, we will always be frustrated. There is a moment where, and people have said, Brett, that sounds so selfish. I said, it is selfish work. It's self work, (laughs) but you can't do the work for somebody else. And, and so you have to do the only work you can do, which is in you. And that then frees you to do so much more and to be available to help them do their work if they want to. And so those four W's drive and change all of these situations and they put us in a position of power. I, um, I am going to Venmo you because <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like oh. I, I am going to Venmo you. Um, uh, so, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I've gone through these different steps, but I kept circling back to number two, Yeah, you know, is it true? Even though I knew it wasn't, I kept responding to that inner um, yeah. belief that was implanted. And um, you when know, I tell people all the time, this isn't a race. Why did I, why do I react to that? Why do I care about that? Oh my gosh. Is it true? Who says it's true? You can dance those two questions for a long time. And all of a sudden, what happens when you do that is this nugget drops out. And you're like, holy mackerel. Do I really believe that? Whoa. If I believe that, what have I been acting on? And and you see all of a sudden the tentacles start going from this one core belief. Right, right. And And from that moment. I didn't raise my kids with this because I said so, yeah. you know, because I'm a parent. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting that even though I intellectually 
raise my kids differently. Yeah. That it was still that little child belief. And that's why people should go to a hypnotherapist and everyone. I just want to know, I have not been hypnotized in this podcast. <laughs> of course I, I, maybe I was because I shared more than I have ever shared publicly um, so whew, that's liberating. Um, because again, it's, I, I love this whole thing. I think this is so valuable. Is this written in your book? Yeah, I've got it in a couple of different things that I've written. Yeah. Well, we'll have to make sure. Cause I think a little tease for this podcast will be why did Lita send um, Brett money to be on her podcast? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I subtly hypnotized you and you're going to send me a check every week for the next 20 weeks. No, no, I'm not. Cause Mr. Green will catch See, you're it. in control. You always have yeah. control. <laughs> Mr. Green will catch it and go oh, money. No, not to Brett. No, no, not everyone. <laughs> What is this thing that keeps going out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he, he watches our money like a hawk and I love it. Um, and good. it just, you know, I, what I'm feeling right now, and I think, you know, what a, what a good therapy session is, is uh, gratitude for who I have chosen to bring into my life and and a sense of compassion and gratitude for, for my family. Of course, I've explored that almost to nauseam, but um, how thankful I am because who we choose to surround ourselves and if they are if they are the kind of people that are asking questions, it can really help us ask those questions. My That's husband right. is accountable to a, a, an annoying degree of how he pushes and works himself. And so I give him a lot of credit to um, that. It's opened me up to really look at a lot of the things that I just assumed. So having friends, having a spouse, um, and having, yeah. you know, a good hypnotherapist in your life that can help you to kind of learn these patterns for sure. Cause I would have saved myself a lot of agony if I just came to you, uh, four years ago when all this poop hit the fan. You know, that's a sad, sad reality. And one of the things, if there's a positive outcome that's happened with COVID, I have seen a shift in the mentality of people who never in their life would have come and talked to some weirdo like me. No, I, I, I believe I like, in therapy. I sure. am. And, and, you, and I know you do. And I know you've done yeah. some beautiful work, but I have seen a beautiful transformation happening where people are becoming aware of the fact I can't do this alone. My spouse doesn't have the answers and my friends, they all collude with me. I need <laughs> to go somewhere where somebody can give me, they don't care if they like me or don't like me. And they're just going to tell me straight up what's going on. Yeah. And more and more people are recognizing the value of that. And I love it. Not just, I love it professionally because, you know, it's my job. I love it that as a people and as, as a population, we are beginning to open up the reality. Sometimes I need to go to that third party individual who's going to tell me straight, who's going to ask me the questions I don't want to ask. And my friends will never ask me. Right. And I love how you said the word collude. I think that is so, uh, that could be like a whole other podcast of the value. Is, you know, you, yeah. You go out with your buddies and, you know, and, and you're sitting there wherever you go and you start bad mouthing your wife. You're like, yeah, I get it. I got one just like her. Well, you didn't solve anything. Right. All you did is sit there and bemoan and instill and deepen some of those core principles. So you're going to go home. I like, Oh, Joe's got one just like her. Oh, eh, eh, eh. You don't change anything. 
Right. Right. Yeah. So, well, and more so, um, you, you rationalize blaming them instead of working on you. And in every dynamic, there's always a percentage of you that is at fault. Like I said, a lot of my anger was the realization that I just assumed that suddenly magically because my child had died, that my parents would behave appropriately around money. And that was like a huge lift to be like, okay, you're, you're really just mad at yourself because you fell into that same trap. And that's where whose issue comes in so right. important because right. there's always a kernel of it that is ours. Right. And we have and, to be honest and accept that. But the cool thing is what you're in control of. I mean, that probably took away 80% of my anger, that realization. But the 20% is the grief that's left Yes. that I have people that I can't trust that I love yes. so much. One of the things that I love to do when we start talking about grief is a huge thing and, and grief is so pervasive in our life. We live a life of loss from the minute we're born losses go and, and we never get over them. We have to become, we have to integrate it and, and accept that loss happens and is there for us. And, you know, people are talking, Oh, I felt so guilty about this. And I said, guilty, guilt or remorse. Yeah. Do you feel guilt for that or do you feel remorse for that? Because guilt implies you did something terribly wrong. And there's and shame and it doesn't help you grow. That's right. But if you recognize the fact that this is remorse and you're grieving a loss, and, and sometimes that loss isn't just death. Now, I teach people not. all the time, yeah. loss, you've got your health, your self-concept, significant people in our life. And the dream and vision of what you thought was going to happen. And those four silos, loss happened in all the time. And so we have to recognize sometimes that much of what we're experiencing that we, we think of is guilt and we have shame over is so much is really a place of remorse. Well, I yeah. can do something with remorse. I can grieve and move through that. Brett, I'm working on my third book about my daughter that passed and one of the big points, which you've helped enhance for me to do this with more, one of the big points of the book is that my daughter's death awakened me to my real power and my real capacity in life. And I'm connotating a lot of things in that and some of it I'll clarify and who knows if this will get in there. I, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> that, right. Like, uh, um, but that. I could no longer accept behaviors that were anything less than where my daughter was. Yes. And that is a huge gift because, you know, their fear goes away and a lot of things like if people like me or not, <laughs> like I buried a kid, like, you know what I mean? Like th this isn't going to work. And, um, what, what a gift of how much her life and death continue to teach me. And, That's amazing. And I think I would have accepted all of these things as routine yeah. had that not been around my child. And one by one, it's cost me um, a lot of relationships that I did hold dear prior to her death, but don't hurt as much as her death, but it's still a loss. And that's unfortunate for them. It's unfortunate oh. for them that they don't get to be with you. 
Well, I don't think they like me a whole lot because I believe in accountability. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. We'll so, always be accountable. I don't think that that's one they're worrying about. But, um, you know, when it no. crossed over into um, comments and um, trying to triangulate my children, um, you know, it, that we w- the boundary went down really hard and fast. So, um, Brett, oh, my heavens. Um Thank you for this therapy session. I'm glad we could record it for all of you to listen. <laughs> and I'm going. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm it's going to um, go have um, a glass of milk to comfort my. Uh, <laughs> my oh. Boy, that was really open. <laughs> Maybe I burned some chocolate too. <laughs> there you go. There you now go. we know how Lita's coping strategies: milk, chocolate, peanut butter. There you go. Um, yeah. Brett, thank you. Um, obviously, you're you're um, really great at what you do, and I knew that before because of um, how people talked about you. And so when you reached out to have me on your podcast, I was really excited because I respected you and the 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 good gossip I'd heard. I hadn't heard any bad gossip, you know. But you know the gossip, the, the what people said about you behind your back. So um, thank you, Brett, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. Thank you. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.